Good. What's up? And welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Hey, man. Have you ever considered your abilities to uh, defeat an orangutan in one-on-one combat? Because I have recently, and I didn't expect that. And what, you know, what, are, you know. what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I think uh, you got to watch the Planet of the Apes recent trilogy for Matt Reeves <laughs> if you don't know the answer. That's what I would say about that. Yeah. Uh, some, some hot takes on my Instagram story about what a wild orangutan could do to the entire population of the Northeast. So if you want to check that out, uh, Life of Sheeny on Twitter or on Instagram, I mean. Um, but <laughs> more importantly, we have some interesting conversations today about uh, some music, a lot of music actually, some TV, and one movie that is Spoiler alert, not great. Uh, but before we get there, uh, go to twitter.com and follow us at Nostalgia Pod. Go to youtube.com and follow us, uh, Nostalgia Pod. And also go to soundcloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod to follow the podcast any way you want to listen to it. And share us with friends because we talk about pretty much as much pop culture as any podcast out there. So Dave, I want to give you the floor a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, we're starting off this week with the death of another up-and-coming rapper, a very promising rapper in Pop Smoke. Give, give me a little bit of the lowdown and then kind of like your perspective on this loss. Yeah, Pop Smoke, 20 years old, Brooklyn rapper, murdered in L.A. over the, week, we, over the weekend, was it? Friday? I forget what, what day it was. A few days ago now. Um, yeah, really, really sad and unexpected news, as you can imagine, when someone's tragically killed, of course. Um, and yeah, we've been having this conversation a lot recently, which is unfortunate. But Pop Smoke in particular is a pretty tragic loss because he was uh, a huge rising star in just like an 18th month, 18 month career. So, like, welcome to the party, his debut or big debut single. Really tore it up in New York City last summer and was a huge, huge smash. Got the Nicki Minaj remix. Uh, really big hit. Really, honestly, a really uh, quintessential New York rap song, unlike anything we've seen since really Bobby Shmurda back in like 2014. So uh, that, that that song will never go away. That was, you know, really, uh, really huge. And Pop Smoke was just really embraced early on as a, as a new star from New York and, and kind of shades of the way 50 cent came up back in the day and you know the sky really did seem to be the limit because he continued to make hit after hit dior was really big uh off the jack boys ep from travis scott and crew uh not great but the biggest song off that's Gotti, which is really just a pop smoke song with the travis verse um and he had his new uh, his new new tape just came out meet the woo too and shake the room with quavo another banger off that um you really felt like pop smoke was going to keep taking over and it's just sad to see him lost, you know, and in particular it, it's, it's frustrating because he was the face of this new wave in New York city is Brooklyn drill wave, which is I think kind of an interesting subgenre because it's influenced by obviously the, the drill we know of Chicago from about a decade ago now that we've talked about before for its influence back over in the UK and, you know, seeing someone seeing, seeing a new area really embrace drill to its uh, full potential like they are doing in Brooklyn right now. Uh, you know, Pop Smoke was the biggest face of that. And, you know, that wave will still continue. You know, we still got uh, Chef G and 22Gs and some other guys. But Pop Smoke was uh, the, the biggest and brightest of them to this point. And it's just just uh, freaking lame that uh, he just got murdered off seemingly being irresponsible on social media and letting some people figure out where he was. And he was supposed, he was supposed to have made it out already, you know? He was fucking in the hills in Hollywood and he died. So it uh, sucks. Yeah. And it feels like we're talking about this more and more frequently. I mean, probably within the last like two years, we've talked about what, four or five, maybe even yep. six major deaths in the, the rap community. Yeah. It's uh, re- really uh, unfortunate. And I think hopefully at least for pop smoke, it's about this case, people just take it just to carry yourself more responsibly. Cause you know, you feel like, Who's the last person to be murdered that was really high profile? I think that was XXX Tacion. Juice, uh, Juice World? Well, he wasn't murdered, though. 
uh, if you oh, discount the guys from we lost, we lost the drugs. X, uh, th- that seemed kind of like, uh, kind of fluky. Like he just kind of got killed in a parking lot in his car, right? Like, mm-hmm. but Pop Smoke literally died from a home invasion where they knew exactly where to find him. So you hope people take this as a lesson to just know how to keep carrying themselves no matter where they are. Terrible. Like, yep. Uh, why don't we move on and talk about, um, some more rap, stay in the rap genre. Um, Kamaya got it made, dropping her first album in, I think it's three years. Yep. 2017's, uh was the last time she was heard from, at least in the album range. Mm-hmm. Um, did we review that one? I don't remember. We did not. Yeah, she dropped uh, uh, bef- Before I Wake at the end of 2017. It was her second mixtape. We did not talk about that. It was it was pretty cool. It simply produced uh, the song Slide Bet was probably the best one. But yeah, we, we kind of passed over that. And then we, we didn't we also didn't talk about her debut mixtape, which got a lot more attention, which was A Good Night in the Ghetto. That was back in 2016. So yeah, it's the first time I'm talking about her because I think as, uh, as she would tell you, she's kind of had a b- bunch of like stops and starts since that really big first mixtape. And like some early looks she had, and she's now she releases independently. I think she, you know, the Interscope deal is done, and it's kind of I think this kind of representing a back to the basics feel for Kamaya. And I think I think it was a good choice because I think this shit shit slaps. There's some Bay Area bounce, man. Yeah, it, I was I was pleasantly surprised listening to it. Didn't have many expectations heading in, um, but I really liked how there was a bounce to it, but it didn't feel overly produced. If it, it felt like uh, it had some real 90s elements, some like real traditional like record yep. scratches and flourishes mm-hmm. throughout, which I, I really liked. Um, but it, it never felt like too glitzy or like they threw too much in there. They really let her kind of her and her personality really shine throughout. And I think her personality is probably the other thing I walked away from with this is she she's funny. Like she has a, a strong perspective, a strong personality that really um, I think allows her to switch between these songs where she's maybe a little bit more serious or talking about um, some of her, her own, you know, life uh, obstacles or things she's going through, but then kind of doing something like, I don't know, one, eight hundred, I'm horny or like 10 <laughs> toes up high, you know? So there's, there's some, some good shit on here. What did you like most about it? <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, I mean, thinking back to a good night in the ghetto, uh, her two big hits off that, How Does It Feel and Fuck It Up featuring YG. Uh, I remember when I first heard those, I was like, Kamaya is awesome. Like we talk about all the, all the rising female rap stars these days. And Kamaya was one I think who's never, never became like a star. She, uh, she never really got famous. You know, she was an XXL freshman in 2017, which I thought was a great pick. And yet, despite the Interscope support at the time, it just di- didn't land, you know? And I think this is really cool because she has zero qualms about attempting to do anything with modern rap trends at all. And she's just making something that's indebted to where she's from, Oakland, and just sound like that and make something that's really cool and timeless. And that's what she did. Like, I, I, we already knew she had good personality. She's funny. And now that we have this where it's just, she just feels more comfortable, more at home on these kind of beats and making these and bounce around on these songs. But, you know, I think she's more more uh, open about her sexuality now, and you hear a little bit more of that on this. And this is a short listen too, but uh, I mean, there's really no songs I, I would cut off this, to be honest, given partially given the, the breadth of the of, of the runtime. But yeah, I mean, there's also some inspired people on here, right? You have Trina, you have mm-hmm. Too Short doing some kind of intro. You know, again, JS no, Mendoza. yeah, no, no Travis, no Quavo on this. You know, it's mm-hmm. I, I think this is a really good way to reestablish oneself and. Kamaya has uh, apparently made, made a record label and she put this out on that. So I'm hoping this is the, the new start of another fruitful career and hopefully she becomes a bigger force out of the Bay because I think this is definitely something people should check in. And even if they haven't listened to Kamaya before, this, this is, uh, you, you'll get the idea real fast. Yeah, I, I think that when you kind of look around at her peers, there's people that do some of the things she does on here better or, or in different ways. Like I find, I find some of cupcakes things, songs a little bit funnier, or maybe sure. I, I enjoy those a little bit more or Tierra whack maybe does like the weirdness factor a little bit better. But I think overall just a really solid album start to finish. And I think 
uh, especially in what you said with, with the artist who's kind of started, stopped, been on a record label, deals is dead or, or done now, to be starting her own um, label, to be putting out what she wants, working with people she wants, bringing her own sound, her own personality to, I think is just fantastic. So uh, seems like this is a, another up and coming rapper and especially a female rapper that seems like they're on the way up. So very excited to hear more from her hopefully soon. Someone else that we are getting uh, only their second feature album, and this is only part one of it, is Moses Sumney with Gray Part One. And part two is going to be dropping a couple of months, May 15th. So mm-hmm. we'll be talking about that. It's going to be 20 songs. So we got a little over half of them. It's a 12 song debut. And I don't, I don't know if we reviewed A Romanticism when it came out. Um, Did not. But, you know, it's, it's an album that I found myself listening to um, every once in a while. And really impressive debut. Uh, he's he established himself as a very unique uh, R&B singer-songwriter um, who really does bend genres from singer-songwriter. I think that's why maybe that label fits him better than just like R&B artist. Yeah. He has this like incredibly distinct voice, this incredibly incredibly distinct perspective. And aromanticism, I think, especially focuses on what it talks about, like romance, um, but also just like self-discovery, um, self-growth. It's it was a really impressive uh, debut for me. Did you get a chance to listen to it prior to? Oh yeah. One? Yeah. I caught up on that a few years ago. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, I think most, and, and these thoughts continue for this, this new run with gray, but he's just a really unique singer songwriter. As you said, it's kind of hard to compare him to other people because he's so comfortable just bouncing around i think a big part of that is not just the kind of the sound he does but also what he does with his voice from song to song is just mm. kind of variable you know he just he, he's very happy and willing to change his delivery and you know whether that's the pitch or the the, the speed you know it really really does change a lot so it's kind of it's kind of hard to put him in a box song to song and that's kind of how i felt um because he released i think four singles from this first part of the double album already uh, cut me and a few other ones and yeah he just listened and was like yeah this sounds like another moses Sumney song and as singles they're kind of hard to digest i think until mm-hmm. you kind of get what he's going for and um i guess in a sense because this is only the first half of something it's maybe foolish to try and get what he's going for now either but um you know the talks of like ambiguity and there's some talk about like gender identity and stuff. And there's even a, I think it's an unexpected like narration section on this, uh, one of the songs towards the end, but yeah, yeah uh, Moses Sumney, definitely just, just a talent, really, really cool person to follow. And it's uh, do something as ambitious as a double album that you're going to announce as two distinct parts. I think it's pretty cool in general. Yeah. And for your second album, I think it's uh, clear. He's incredibly ambitious. I mean, just kind of, to give a, a general sense of some of the, the genres that he goes through on here. I mean, there's definitely classically inspired songs on here. Like there's some chamber pop, um, definitely more like uh, Bowie-esque, like art rock mm, <laughs> on here too. Sure, yeah. He has some jazz, acoustic, like it really goes all over the place. And you mentioned a great point, which I wanted to bring up. What he, where I really see the growth for him, because I think his songwriting and aromanticism is also really, really good. And he does a great job here, I think, crafting songs in a very interesting way. But I hear him using his voice because he's mostly falsetto. Right? He mostly he's known for like that very high, almost like can go toe to toe with Frank Ocean, probably voice wise um, in terms of distinctness and, and the level of, of range. But he goes low in a couple of the songs here. And it really, uh, I think it really adds an element and it almost, I had to check the tracks. I thought maybe he had a guest singer on the track that it was just so different than anything I really heard in a romanticism. I really thought that was, uh, very impressive. Um, I, I'm also, I think just kind of blown away by his ability to like, I think you said this craft, uh, a cohesive project that's mm-hmm. so unique sounding, um, from song to song, but seems to still flow really well. Um, and I'm really interested to see how great part two 
kind of fits in with the rest of these songs because you talked about a lot of different themes on here and i think this works great it's just its own album so to hear how he expands on this in a couple of months i'm, I'm definitely very intrigued this is definitely up there for me with uh tame for one of my favorite early albums of the year uh one so we'll, we'll see come may 15th any last thoughts on uh moses sumney uh, definitely, definitely has a uh, few contemporaries right now. So you, you, you want to be checking this out. He's, he's talented. He's good. Check him. Uh, King Cruel. Should people be checking this man out? Uh, I'm not as into King Cruel personally. That's just my taste. He's a guy who I've checked out before. He's actually pretty, pretty, uh, lauded and experienced, right? He's only like what, 25, but this is his fourth record, I think. So he, he's, he he's been around a while, and more importantly, I guess he's been like popping on like in indie rock internet for a while, right? Yeah. Like he he's people have just known him for a while. Archie Marshall out of the UK. So yeah. I've always I always found him interesting, like his cult personality and all that. But the music isn't really not not my style, so rarely does it jump out to me. But yeah, interesting career. Interesting career, and also highly lauded. Um, his albums get a lot of acclaim yeah, within the, the indie ooze. rock community. Yeah, the ooze especially, uh, which I think we actually talked about. You can probably check that out a couple of years back. Um, it, I compared him to you in a, in a text to like the the Earl Sweatshirt of the indie rock world, you know, because he has such a like. When I think about Earl, I don't think about. I can't really name anybody who does what he does exactly. Mm. You know, the way he has like such a distinct sound, it's so like chopped, lo-fi, right. almost kind of like intentionally jarring at points. And when I think about King Cruel, I kind of think the same way. He delivers his songs in very specific ways. I actually think this is the first album where I found myself feeling like songs were crafted the same way. So I don't know if this was maybe just not his best showing, but his voice is so distinct his his flourishes feel unique only to him throughout the album so I'm, i, I kind of see them similarly what do you think about that comparison uh i guess one thing i would think about is, is what is king cruel's standing and status within the rock community like with his contemporaries do they hmm. like i feel I like all, all, know that. yeah i mean i don't either i feel like rockers especially like rockers that are not like 10 years in the game or anything I feel like they all kind of exist independent of each other due to the way rock is uh, treated and uh, consumed these days. Whereas Earl, I think Earl is kind of widely yeah. uh, just thought of in rap by his contemporaries as one of the greats, mm-hmm. you know, in, in his generation. Whereas I just don't know if that like that applies because that's just not how rock is rock works these days. But it's interesting, yeah, because I also can't think of someone who really sounds like this dude, which is pretty impressive for someone who's as young as he is. Like he started getting attention when he was still a teenager. Yeah, and especially when we talk about rock, um, and especially indie rock, where the genre keeps going, I think we oftentimes find ourselves feeling like there's just a lot of copycats, or there's not really anything unique about the artists that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and with him, I mean. Like you said, there's nothing that sounds like him. Uh, there's heavy jazz and, and like brass influence throughout this um, kind of uh, overtones of like strong, thick basses with these like airy jazz and like uh, infused elements. It's just very unique. Um, I don't always find it totally jiving with me and being my my style, but I definitely respect it. And I think that's the thing mm-hmm. I, I see with Earl is like even the songs that jar me with Earl, like. I know this shit is like high quality. It's crafted beautifully. That's the same thing. I don't always like love King Cruel, but I respect it. And I I guess kind of bringing us to this album, Man Alive, there were some songs I really liked on here and some moments I was like, okay, got to get to the next song. I can't take this one anymore. How about you? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, it's post-punk, some avant-garde ass shit at the end of the day, you know? But sometimes there's moments where it's like, oh, wait a minute, like on Comet Face for me, yeah. which is like, wow, this is much more lively, which is interesting because the subject matter, this is very dark. Whereas it's about him getting like, was it like getting mugged or something? Yeah. Getting fucked up, right? And it's like, yeah, damn. All right. But I actually think this song sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. So interesting juxtaposition there, I guess. But yeah, a lot of times, at least for me, for my style, it's just more uh, like his vocals are just kind of, 
um, intentionally like low register and he's just kind of like mellowing out with the guitar and it's like, all right, I, I get it. I get what this is going for, but I don't usually listen to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Common Face stood out to me. I really liked uh, Alone, Omen 3 a lot too and then Stoned again. Um, I thought that song went really hard. Um, just that like dark marbled mouth shit. <laughs> I like right, to hear. Yeah. Yeah, his voice um, is just so unique too, like the way he sounds. Yeah, you know? and the way he looks, he's just a unique artist. And yeah. he arranges all this except for the the saxophone, <laughs> which is also very interesting. He's similar to like you mentioned Tame Impala earlier, Kevin Parker or James Murphy or anyone like in that ilk who right. arranges it all and then they perform it live with artists. Um interesting to see where he'll go, because apparently this was written um uh in pretty much all made right before he found out he was going to be a father. And right. so I'm wondering if his, uh, what he writes about, which is usually some pretty dark shit, like you alluded to before, will change a little moving forward. We'll see. Um, but King Cruel still producing that, that quality indie rock, however you want to define it. Yeah. Jazz um, fusion. <laughs> jazz. It's a fusion. lot of stuff. I like that. Um, how would you define Grimes? Uh, wow uh grimes speaking of uh avant-garde shit man um grimes is really interesting to me because she's someone that i've most cases because and this is her fifth album so she's, she has a lot of material out there most of the time it's not really for me because it's intentionally like talking in tongues like <laughs> the lyrics are intentionally so minimalist and in just trying to blend into the production that I just can't get into it, you know? And I feel like it was really funny because her, her last album prior to this, Art Angels, back in 2015, it's been a minute, Art Angels was like, oh, I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is Grimes doing her weird shit, but actually trying to be poppy. Mm-hmm. And she's like, change, she's actually delivering, delivering like tangible uh, words this time. <laughs> and I thought it sounded dope. There's some really awesome songs yeah. now like California, some other ones. Um, you got a feature with Janelle Monet on there. And this one, I think, you know, uh, there's some times where she's still talking in tongues on this, but there's some other times where it's like, all right, cool. I get it. What you're going for, you know, she's telling she wanted to bring climate change as, as a message. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, the misanthropocene, the, 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 the Combining Anthropocene with uh, Misanthrope, you know, it's a mm-hmm. cool way to combine for the titles and all that. So yeah, that's in my roundabout way of saying Grimes is uh, Grimes makes some weird shit, and yeah. I haven't been been down with all the old stuff, but this one is this one's interesting. It's definitely interesting. Um, verbal meme. So it's like the, the you know the brain where that has like the lights coming out of it, and then like the next one, it's like even more lights. I Galaxy feel like it's brain. like yeah, I feel like it's. Starts with like I don't know maybe it's Je- maybe it's Janelle Monet who's like the first one and it's like current like high art pop and then the next one is Charlie XCX future art pop yeah and it's like Galaxy Brain is like Grimes like alien like art pop or some shit like that like That's it's just so like perfect. just like a ridiculous uh, I don't even know how you conceptualize this like I, I would I would love to be able to sit down and like just uh, talk to her and like explore where her like creative process starts it seems like she maybe starts with the concept and then it's just like what would this look like in three thousand years like i don't know but oh, yeah <laughs> i feel like i feel like misanthropocene actually is almost kind of like a play a little bit because <laughs> she has like what four or five songs on here that are like long five plus minutes pretty epic and then there's like two or three in between that are like a minute and a half, two and a half minutes, three minutes, like mm-hmm. shorter, quicker songs that get her to these like epics. And it feels a bit like, like performative in that sense, which I actually kind of like. Sure. Yeah. Apparently she's also a fan of DC comics song named dark side song named new gods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, man. Uh, DC needs all the help it can get. That's right. <laughs> um, any songs on here that really stood out to you or that you enjoyed? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I liked a few of these. I, I just just because of the sound, I don't like this as much as Art Angels. I still think that's my favorite of hers, but I do appreciate that it's once again something that is 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 crafted to like her vision, and I respect that because she's making shit that's so out there and 
so vibey at the end of the day. And in this case, yeah, I, I think a delete forever stood out to me because she's on a fucking banjo on this. Just <laughs> randomly. Like, I listened to a lot yeah. of Grimes this weekend, and then I hear a banjo for the first time. Like, Where the fuck did this come from? And apparently she wrote that song, The Night Little Peep OD'd several years ago. Mm, interesting. interesting story there. Um, I also liked You'll Miss Me When I'm Not Around. Um was that one? Oh, my name is Dark. Uh, yeah, there's there's some cool shit on here, but like it's to... uh, you got to be in the right I think headspace to <laughs> listen to this because you, I feel like you just kind of got to like fall into it because there's not like much tangible lyrics that you can like latch onto. So you just kind of got to fall and go with it. Yeah, I feel like uh, my name is Dark. I actually wrote down I need future drugs for this, like just things that aren't even created yet. Cause it's right. so high concept, but also sounds really great. Just like some dark pop kind of stuff, almost like Billie Eilish, but more poppy. Um, I really liked for uh, as this for a E M like aim. I don't know how to pronounce yeah. that, but uh, that actually kind of reminded me of Santa gold a little bit. Had that like Ooh. middle Eastern vibe to it. Um, I don't know. Just really, uh, I thought that was a very pleasurable song to listen to. And then the, the closer, uh, Idoru, uh, I I I do Ru. I don't know, mm-hmm. but uh, m- much more upbeat and optimistic sounding than the rest of the album. That one really stood out to me. Um, really, the whole thing through and through is quality. I think it's just like how accessible is this to you? And she's definitely, like you said, she definitely is going for more of like a, a poppy sound. I think this is a little bit less poppy than the last record. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly still more digestible than some of the earlier stuff. So. Definitely. <laughs> um, I think this is a good list, and we'll be adding some of these songs to our playlist. Any last thoughts on Grimes, though? Kind of like Moses Sumney. I was thinking about this a lot this weekend. Who are Grimes' peers right Charlie, now? Charlie, maybe. I- I'm just trying to think of like people that do something like she does. Like I guess Charlie from like an energy perspective and a music approach but like who 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 makes this kind of this shit this far out there that's like in the pop realm at all i don't know i, I think cuz she is she's pretty famous now you yeah. know the only one i can really think of is fk twigs who i think yeah, is like similarly is similar but it's not it's not even quite to that level but more palatable yeah um yeah one on for sure yeah and i i appreciate these one on ones we had three of them in a row um, and all, all to varying degrees of, of, of excellence, which is great that they're all good. BTS, Map of the Soul 7, though. Is this good, Dave? Is this, is this good pop music? I, I did think this was good. Uh, long. A lot, lot of songs. Probably too many. Definitely too many. But there's a lot of, I think, BTS at their strengths on this uh, fourth full-length Korean album from the biggest band in the world. And we did review a couple of the songs on here. What, five, I think, of the, yep, you said five, five of the seven? Five of the seven from the EP last year, Map of the Soul Persona. They, Including. They liked all of them so much, they brought them back again. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, and some of these songs are really good, like Intro Persona, um, which I actually think we put on the one last year. Sounds like a, a Beastie Boys knockoff, but it's <laughs> fucking great. Um, and, you know, I liked a lot of the new songs, too. I think that there's some very uh like like you said some very bts like songs that you know they definitely are making songs for anthem to uh for like anthem stadium tours but selling those shits out make get get your money um well they're getting it don't you worry these guys are fucking rich as hell now (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and and they're becoming just more and more ingrained into uh, american popular culture and also world popular culture at this point so it seems like you liked this album. What, what what did you like about it so much? Uh, yeah, I mean, just thinking about it, you know, we, we I think we we first talked about BTS at the end of 2018, and that was you know 2018 was when they really started to make real true inroads here in the U.S. and have since become the most successful Korean act in the Western world ever. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, just thinking like last year they're on SNL, which is a big landmark moment. They performed a little bit at the Grammys, you know, as part of Little Nas X's medley. Um, and they've been the Grammys a few times now. 
So just like kind of, you know, witnessing the meteoric and continued rise of BTS. Again, I think we all, something we always like to point out and think about is at the end of the day, it's about the records, right? That's what matters. That's what lasts. And BTS has already had a lot of good stuff, partially because they've made so much music over the years. I think even like their diehard uh, army stands would tell you that they've gotten a lot better throughout the years. So what do we want from BTS now when they're already so big, so successful, and basically hit every milestone they can? You know, they're, this is, I think this will be their uh, fourth number one when this does like 300,000 or whatever it's going to do first week, like crazy, they're doing everything they can. Right. So what do we want for them? Because soon they're going to have to do their required military service that is required mm -hmm. of all South Koreans. So like all K-pop uh, acts, they will have to go on a hiatus, whether they like it or not. That's coming up. I'm not sure how soon it is, but everyone's talking about it. Um, and I think for this map of the soul seven, I just want to hear BTS, I think, just kind of do more of the versatility because they, they make so many different kinds of songs, right? They have the kind of the pure rap songs, they, the, which are, are bangers. They have the stuff that's really electronic, uh, right? Mm -hmm. Like think of like one of their big hits, Mic Drop, has that Stevie Oki remix, right? And then they also do a lot of the ballads. I mean, there's, there's seven of these dudes. They all have their different strengths. I think what was cool on this is I and obviously I don't speak Korean neither do you so I can't really connect with the lyrics and also I don't understand you know the sentiment a lot but I can get the vibe and I, I think I'm starting to recognize more of the voices in the group still still not don't get know them all but on on this I think seeing everyone get like different moments to shine and, and go to their strengths I think was really cool to me like Someone who, like Suga in particular, you know, he had that moment on Halsey's album. On this album, they do a lot of solo tracks, which I think is, was, was a really cool choice. And they're also bringing in more outside people. Like, I think one of my favorite songs on this, and it, so there's a lot of songs. I really need to listen a few more times just because there's so much to, to digest and because they make different mm. kinds of songs, you kind of lose track of some. But one, I think one of my favorite favorites, one of the strongest ones is Louder Than Bombs, which is actually like a mm. ballad song. Yeah. That's notably co-written with Troy Savant of all yeah. people. Yeah, I was going to so say that. That was cool. Yeah, um, I thought that song was, was really, uh, really, uh, really successful because even though I don't actually understand exactly what they're saying, I totally get what vibe and what energy they're going for as mm. like a sad song. And you know that's going to kill it in the slower moments on the arena tour. Yeah. So even, even though it's long, like I think there's a lot of like great moments that you, you want from like modern level of BTS at the top, at the top of their powers. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, I think when you, when, especially as these guys are thinking about uh, this hiatus coming up and, you know, just getting that money, um, they ultimately they're going to make songs for the live acts they're going they they sell out MSG every single time multiple yeah. shows uh they sell out stadiums when they do them multiple shows it's the the demand for them is is insane right now and um you know they're they're all incredibly talented uh i, I don't really think there's many bad tracks i've heard from them in listening and like like you said we can't we don't know what they're saying half the time so mm -hmm. um that they could be saying stuff and it doesn't make any sense. And we're like, okay, well, these lyrics could be better, but overall, you know, you know what I started doing it. It's really good help. Turn on closed captioning on YouTube and put on their videos Ooh. or just put on like the tracks and you can just read it along at the pace that they're, they're rapping or singing. And I was like, this is what people do all the time. I just don't, don't really do this that often. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I did it for a little bit. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. This is as, as I, as we all expect, uh, this is a co coherent ass, coherent ass song. How about that? It's almost like a music is international. Who would have thought? <laughs> um, yeah. Overall, this is good, and and overall, BTS is a monster. They're just what? Yeah. What biggest act in the world right now? Would you say? I think that that's certainly right there. You know who? In terms of, I mean, boy bands, obviously oh, the yeah. biggest. Korean acts, Asian acts, obviously the biggest. Um, pop pop group who, who who is bigger than these guys in terms of consistent demand output uh 
quality too. Like I, I really, you can't, I can't say. I mean, they did this last year; it hasn't stopped yet. Like they have the the record for the most viewed YouTube video in the first twenty four hours with "Boy with Love," the Halsey track. Mm-hmm. It's like sixty seven million or whatever it is. It's, it's absurd. They set yeah. that mark a year ago; it hasn't been broken. Um, and they set the mark beforehand with uh, was it a fake love or whatever? So, so it's probably I, what like T Swift, Beyonce, them, Bieber, maybe. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think they're bigger than Beyonce. Crazy. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to think. Like, does does, Be- does Beyonce have quite the inter- uh, international wor- worldwide appeal as some of the other people? Try remember. I don't know. You know, I, I think that's kind of the key. Like, we have people like like and like. Obviously, like be like thinking of like status in the U.S., we're just going to default people that are a little more established, like Taylor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you can look at some of the stats too on in terms of like demand for ticket sales and re- the, the the pace and volume of the resale market for their their tours. But like, they compete and do bigger than people like Ariana, you know, who another mm-hmm. person is kind of at the top of the game. So, yeah. um. Yeah, I think I mean, and in terms of like biggest band, like uh, like call you know, the, the pop band, boy band, but biggest band, biggest group. I mean, oh. don't think it's even close. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, like some, I think so, some legacy bands, rock bands, might like make more money on their tours because they just kind of pull in bigger fees. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, it's got to be BTS, man. It's it's, it's, it's wild. It, it's cool. Like I think we talked about this before, but like. They haven't made any concessions with who they are, what they do, and they just got accepted and in, in the Western world. And that's awesome, and that's what we want. And we're seeing that more from Latin music, although Latin music is not being as concession-free as someone like BTS. I think there's still room for that more growth there. But yeah, with BTS, man, they, just, uh, they are who they are, and it's working over here too. And that, that that's pretty great to see because that was not the case, and no one thought that could happen. So just 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 trend trend setting, you know. Did you have any other songs that stood out to you? Um, so seven. That's so see, many to I, pick from, of course. <laughs> uh, I thought Moon was very upbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, On I thought was mm-hmm. yep. made to be a, a stadium anthem. Video is fucking sick. By the is way, it? I didn't check it out. Yeah. They're, they're so talented as dancers and the choreography they do is so intricate, yeah. you know, I can't help but be impressed with that. The, the, those are the main ones for me. What about for you? I also really liked Ugg. That's just a straight rat banger. I love listening to RM just be like, I'm talented as fuck. Here's how, you know, um, mm-hmm. that was cool. It's kind of like, like, like trap. They're talking about it as a trap song, which I thought was funny. Um, and there's actually a moment of that where I was like, wait a minute, that reminds me of Danny Brown of all people. Never thought <laughs> I'd get that vibe from BTS. So that was cool. That's I also really like outro colon ego mm. towards the end. There's like the narration section at the uh, uh, beginning of that track. Thought that was cool. Um, you know, the lead single of this, in terms of new tracks that weren't previously released, was Black Swan. It came out I think January. Um, I thought that one was like a little underwhelming. I think Black Swan's a song you point to, and that's kind of like when because, again, because they're so successful, have so much output, been doing this for so long, like seven years or whatever. A song with Black Swan, like, all right, yeah, you've done that before and you've done it better. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 songs like that, you know, they kind of feel like, like they, they, they lack purpose or urgency to, to see because they're just not as good as stuff in a similar vein. So I think that, that, that's kind of like, like, like that, that's like what a weak moment is for BTS right now, which I guess is also high praise because it's still, it's all still pretty good. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Um, BTS, Map of the Soul 7. It's good. BTS, good. Um, Dave, something that's not good, I just want to talk about real quick. Pat's Movie Corner. Uh, last thing he wanted. Wanted to see it, man. I just didn't get to it yet. I will watch it uh, in solidarity with you. A movie that, you know, thinking about it, we, we talked about this last year. We thought last thing he wanted would be good because it's D. Reese's follow-up to Mudbound, a movie that's amazing. Yeah. Mudbound's really good. Um, yeah, an Oscar contender. And <laughs> this one also has a big cast. It's DV's Netflix once again. They saved it for Sundance this year. It's been done for a while. We were, we were hyped. And 
apparently it's trash and i like to hear yeah. why i haven't seen it yet so obviously i don't give a shit about spoilers now <laughs> yeah uh, i i won't i'll wait till till you see i guess to talk super spoilers but the thing is i can't spoil this movie too much because it's really the plot is unintelligible like it it is just the one of the worst crafted worst told stories i've ever seen on film and like you said great cast you have Anne hathaway um yeah ben affleck willem dafoe rosie perez some high quality people and and hitters for the most part they're pretty good ben affleck just seems like he showed up and was like okay just give me my check like he he was just like very (laughs) just like charmless didn't when do i leave set okay cool yeah exactly didn't even (laughs) give a shit he probably walked right off of um what was the other netflix movie last year six not six underground he was uh the one with charlie hunnam and Oh, Triple Frontier. Yeah, he probably like walked off Triple Frontier, shaved his beard, and just did this. Like, this <laughs> came is, back to life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and man, it, it just felt like beyond the fact I couldn't really even follow what was happening. It just felt super boring. Like mm. they and they they have all the pieces of things that that you want in a, this sort of movie. It should have been a thriller, right? You have Anne Hathaway as this um, journalist who's all. Uh, following the South American beat uh, and mostly like all like the, the arms dealing and drug dealing going on down there. Kind of like a, uh, a crime reporter, so to speak for down there. And uh, she gets moved off of it and onto following the Reagan reelection campaign because the newspaper needed her to the fake newspaper, the Atlantic journal post or whatever it is. Ah, wow. Really, it, it, really, really, Trying hard for that name. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, it's funny because... Uh, Should add based, Tribune. <laughs> yeah, this, this is based on a book by Joan Didion. And right. in it, the, the character just is for the Washington Post. So they must not have been able to clear the rights for that for whatever reason, which is interesting. Hmm. Maybe the Washington Post saw this and was like, do not put our name to this, please. <laughs> um, I, which I, w- I wouldn't knock them for at all. Um, and her dad is Willem Dafoe. Uh, a, a drug runner um, in the early stages of dementia um, and $500,000 in debt. So half a million in debt needs to have this one amazing deal that kind of came out of the sky, go through so we can get out of his debt, um, get sick. And in order to still get the money, um, Anne Hathaway has to go down and basically do this, this arms deal for him. <sighs> And uh, man, I, I could not find, I cannot really point you to a scene where I was super intrigued, except for probably the ending, which I won't spoil too much, but it's just um, like, it, it's, I think the ending is predictable, but I still think the way that, that they show it is like kind of like shocking. Like you don't expect it to happen exactly when it happens, I don't think. Um, and kind of like the twist to it, I think is still somewhat interesting, but they they just like throw in scenes with Anne Hathaway and her daughter, which is actually probably some of the most interesting stuff. She uh, is a divorced mom. Uh, the whole relationship with her daughter is through the phone because she's constantly traveling. Hmm. Um, the the girl who plays the daughter plays it totally monotone, which I mean, it's a child. So uh, judge their performance accordingly, but uh, just did not find that can. Uh, convincing at all um and i felt like that could have gone somewhere they kind of flip back to rosie perez every once in a while as like her sidekick in this but um it just kind of takes me even further out of the movie um even though i think rosie perez is actually good in this and yeah i mean they i guess even to like just like taking one step further it felt like there wasn't really much of a plan like right so the plot's already a mess but it just felt like they shot things from all these different angles. There was a lot of like cutting and piecing together mm. and it just didn't feel like it was intentional. Just kind of like they wanted right. to like be very showy. Like look at this like crane scene, like shot that we have or, right. Look at this drone shot. But like, did any of it actually make sense? There's just one scene that I remember very vividly where they, they show Anne Hathaway entering this room and she has this really cool lighting and they shoot it from the ground and she walks in and like, it cuts like one second later. And it's like a very like, it was very off-putting to me because I was like, that was a cool shot. And then we go right back to a very traditional shot. And I don't really even know what the point of that like down, huh. like, low wow. shot was. And I was just kind of like, this feels like a whole mess in every sense of the word. So 
Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts whenever you get to it. I wouldn't say uh, put it at the top of your movie list unless you, you don't have much to, to watch right now. But oh, Got to watch it now. You can't let the, these, these things pile up. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be like saving this for your dessert. Uh, why don't we move on to TV? Uh, don't watch The Last Thing He Wanted, uh, but do watch Clone Wars, which is back. Yeah, it is. Let's go, baby. <laughs> Did you watch the original when it came out? how dare you besmirch my honor like that of course i did uh <laughs> clone wars the clone wars star wars the clone wars six seasons in the bag already started back in 2008 on cartoon network and then those first five seasons had wrapped by early 2013 at that point lucasfilm had been bought by Disney, as we all know at this point, unfortunately. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, we're going uh, to wind down Clone Wars now. And everyone's like, no, fuck that. They gave us one last abbreviated season, season six, called The Lost Missions. That came out in 2014 on Netflix, of all places. And Clone Wars, for a while, lived on Netflix until it just moved to Disney+. Plus. You can watch the whole thing. Disney+, Plus now it's 121, now 122 episodes. And the seventh season was announced back in 2018 at Celebration, Clone Wars saves big moment, and it's going to premiere week to week with 12 final episodes and ending on May 8th this year. Great and, day. That's right, <laughs> the Ocho. I have several <laughs> friends born on May 8th. It's kind of weird, <laughs> um, and it's funny because Clone Wars coming back and and then being put to bed for good uh, is very different than The Mandalorian. Right, because Clone Wars is truly a love letter to the fans. This is prequel era shit, the seventh season of something at that that's really beloved by a certain group of people because it's good. It's a good, good quality show. Mandalorian, you didn't really need to know the, the deep inner workings of the lore to appreciate that. And it also, of course, gave, some, gave us something like Baby Yoda, became the meme of the year and a right. bona fide hit and a prestige show in its own regard. So they're really serving two different masters with those shows. So it, for me, it's just cool to see um, Lucasfilm now under Disney have the wherewithal to be like, you know what? Let's, well, let's, let's finish Clone Wars. No real reason. We don't really need to do this, but let's do it anyway because we like Dave Filoni and he's one of our good soldiers. And this is, of course, where Dave Filoni cut his teeth and made his name uh, and, of course, now moved on to work uh, on uh, The Mandalorian. And you know, I think Clone Wars, a lot of people uh, maybe found out about this later. Uh, this is where Darth Maul came back to life and back mm -hmm. into our hearts several years ago before Solo. Of course, only the real ones knew that at the time. Uh, that is what it is. And uh, yeah, Clone Wars is cool because it's just, uh, it's probably the best way to engage with the prequel story and like those themes and ideas that George Lucas had that were good and cool if not executed on particularly well with the prequel films. Um, this is this is the best version of Anakin Skywalker. This really makes you connect with the character and you understand how more layered and troubled he was because we're not beholden and bogged down by the really poor dialogue that held back Hayden Christensen. And Hayden, of course, didn't really do himself any favors with his acting, as we all know. I hate you! <laughs> hate sand it gets fucking everywhere man. <laughs> um this is where we get the dark saber that uh giancarlo esposito wields at the in the end of the mandalorian finale uh lots of mandalore stuff in general it's some of the best material in clone wars uh and you know for me it, I, I i just as a show you know it's a it's like 3d animated cgi and animation quality is pretty cool and it looks really good now but um you know it's a 20 minute 20 minute episodes ultimately it's a children's show. It's for kids. But I think what was cool, what everyone's been saying for years, is that after the first like season and a half, Clone Wars actually became like a lot more adult and has some really dark moments. And there's ultimately just a lot of really cool stuff on here. And I, I'm just excited to to see how far we go with these final episodes because you know a lot of stuff we already know. Obviously, this is before Revenge of the Sith. Some characters pop back up in Star Wars Rebels, like Ahsoka. So we know the fate of some of these people. But it's suggested in the trailer that we might be getting events in and around Revenge of the Sith itself. And that's a really tantalizing prospect because 
I think everyone accepts that Revenge is the best of the prequel movies and has a lot of good moments. And to see uh, that kind of stuff, the Endgame stuff, portrayed again from other angles and even even fleshed out a little bit, uh, that, that that's a really tantalizing prospect to me. So I, I'm excited that this is going to be week to week as well. Um, just kind of brings me back to watching the show week to week back in the day. So uh, Clone Wars, you know, if you uh, if you haven't watched it, honestly, you could just watch it now. Like you don't have to worry about knowing everything. It's not one of those things. You know who Anakin and Obi Wan are at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, and it's cool. I, w- one of the other I think great creations of Clone Wars was that the clones had personality and character, and they weren't just mindless cannon fodder as they've been in the movies. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, if you're at all interested, just pop in because it's uh, it's something that's made with a a lot of uh, care, which unfortunately we didn't feel as much about something like Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, well, uh, I definitely want to check it out, but I do want to watch all the uh, other ones beforehand because I I've heard great things from pretty much everybody that's seen them. Um, So definitely, you can bang them out. It's not 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 the most arduous watch. But Dave, there's so much TV to watch. (sighs) Never ends, including. Better Call Saul came back for what season? Is this season five or six though? Five. five. Yeah. We're, and, and we know we're getting a six and final season as well. So not the penultimate season. The penultimate season of Saul. And we talked about Vince Gilligan's, uh, I guess this is a prequel show to Breaking Bad, um, which will end up also being a sequel show uh, from all indications. That's right. Um, Shout out to black and white shit. And it's uh I, I think when we talk about it, where we're really left with Saul is, I mean, it's incredibly high quality. It's Breaking Bad level. Some people might even argue it's better than Breaking yeah. Bad, which I think I about know. that a lot now, actually. Do you, Depen- you think it's up there? I think it depends what you're thinking about, but like Better Call Saul's writing is just so tremendous. Mm-hmm. And like Breaking Bad, it's hard not to marvel at the meticulous construction of like narrative arc and just narrative in general that Gilligan displays us once again. So yeah, in a lot of ways it might be better because it's kind of just continuation of that amazing thing we already loved, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think in terms of like entertaining story, probably breaking bad, but in terms of not as pulpy as breaking bad was that it's more action climactic moments yeah no if, doubt about that it feels a little more david simon to me Saul. i guess you know just in mm. terms of like building out characters building out world the moments aren't as they don't, the highs aren't as high but institutional decay of albuquerque a david simon <laughs> story um and it, it's interesting in thinking about both um uh, Saul and breaking bad i feel like these two shows really rest on the female leads in terms of like how the show hits emotionally. Um, you know, Anna Gunn in Breaking Bad, um, for as much as people were annoyed with Skylar, uh, I think, and just kind of wanted her to, you know, lay off, lay off uh, uh, right. Walt and just kind of stop being such a nag. Um, she really did bring the emotional hammer. It was yeah. kind of like There's the avatar no Breaking for the Bad without Skylar. Right. And Rhea Seahorn uh, fucking brings it every single episode yeah. in Saul. But still gets overlooked by the Emmys. Fucking terrible. Which is like crazy that she has not been nominated. But, uh, you know, many great people, uh, great actors not get nominated. So, um, anyways, her as, her as, was it Kim in this? Kim Wexler. Kim Wexler. Um, really impressive and drives home the, uh, um, I think what, what we're all watching, which is the deterioration of the humanity of Jimmy McGill into Saul Goodman into what was his name at the beginning of this one? Uh, is it like Victor Teddick? Oh yeah. I forget the third name still. Um, (laughs) Hold on. I wrote it down here. It was Gene Tekovic. That's right. Um, yeah. And that, that the scene at the end of this premiere, I think is what she does so well because it's just like a silent defeated, like dive into uh the the 
pain of seeing this person you care about so much and you fight for so much becoming someone that you can't fight for anymore that you don't want to fight for anymore and that's really what the show has devolved into in such a beautiful way and there's there's a lot of other cool cool shit going on i think the stuff between mike and uh, gus is really interesting and uh, i'm interested to see how they kind of resolve that between them um and also does it resolve the uh you know the other cartel stuff going on which obviously is going to be a big factor leading into how Saul gets roped into all that kind of stuff um but really the the Saul Kim relationship is just fantastic how are you feeling about the season premiere and just kind of where this season is going in general yeah well I think uh it kind of just continues echoes my thoughts at the end of season four where there's some real narrative forward momentum. I know that we haven't had that, but now Jimmy is using the Saul Goodman name, something we've just been waiting to see happen. And this transition that's about to happen and what we all have known for some time, the the fallout between Kim and Jimmy is coming. Mm-hmm. And just just waiting to see what that is because you know it's going to be delivered with amazing acting and writing uh it's just really exciting because we're we're here you know and as you know from last season gus is a part of this story and how saul jimmy saul is gonna get more indoctrinated with gus and and and, uh, here comes the downfall in a certain sense the downfall of jimmy so yeah, that's all I care about right now. And of course, you know, uh, what's Nacho's fear too, you know, mm-hmm. so the whole like greater universe of Breaking Bad is, is well, well, well established at this point at Better Call Saul. So it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's awesome, the, the, you know, and I, I think honestly, the show is somehow underrated still. Can't <laughs> believe I'm saying that, but people don't talk about it as much as they should. Well, and I think that, kind of brings me back to the Simon comparison. I mean, how many David Simon shows, uh, we just talked about the deuce, uh, that go kind of flying under the radar because they don't bring you the, like um, the emotional highs, um, or the, the lows. Like, it's just a very solid, consistent movie. It's the, uh, I don't know, the, the baseball, what what would the baseball equivalent be of a show like this? Like a picture that, gets like 16 wins a year with like a 340 ERA for like 15 seasons. Like sure. Mike Mussina. Yeah. There you go. Seriously. <laughs> uh, just incredibly solid and consistent. Um, but maybe you're not going to like turn it on if you want to watch something really exciting or really like emotionally moving It just kind of, it depicts, I think real life in such a, a real life, quote unquote, um, in such a, a, a way out that you don't usually see on TV. Um, while still making it really interesting. So, um, it, any predictions for where this season's going to end up? Do you think we'll we'll get into the post uh, McGill kind of Saul world, or do you think that'll be all season six? Man, yeah, maybe maybe it will be all season six. It's hard to say. It's always been hard to predict really much of anything with mm-hmm. Breaking Bad or Saul um, to this point. Yeah, how much uh, future shit? we get that's the question isn't it i don't know yeah i'm a little that that's like maybe the one worry i have for the season is how much will things kind of drag um because they're trying to save some stuff for season six i have a hundred percent faith in gilligan to make this uh enjoyable to watch but um, if i do have one concern it's will they try to save some stuff for season six that maybe we could have spent yeah that is a common thing with drama so TV dramas, so yeah, that's in the back of the mind at least. Better call Saul. Watch it. And Dave, what should the people be watching and listening to for next week? Yeah, next week is a interesting week. We'll have plenty to discuss, but in terms of new releases, uh, some music, mainly Soccer Mommy. That's the uh, most important. Looking forward to that one for sure. Um, movies. A lot of movies are coming out around this time in various stages of release. So we'll be talking about them, I assume, in multiple waves. But the uh, what's that? Daniel, Rad- Daniel Radcliffe movie, Guns Akimbo is coming. You have the uh, 
Emma with Anya Taylor Joy. We have Seaberg, Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wendy is coming soon. So hmm. Corpus Christi, the uh, Oscar nominated foreign film from Poland, is beginning to pop up. Um, there's this other German foreign movie I'm interested I think it's German, German or Russian. I forget. My apologies. It's called Beanpole. Looking forward to hmm. a lot of movies. They're going to come out in the next few weeks. Um, yeah. And then we're going to get the uh, end of The Outsider and the new Pope. Um, soon not not sunday the sunday after so always plenty to discuss give me some time to catch up on those because uh there's a lot of tv to always be keeping up with that's Um, that's the story if you want to keep up with us again subscribe to youtube.com slash nostalgia pod soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod and follow us at nostalgia pod on twitter we'll catch you next week (laughs) 